Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores the controversial and challenging issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspective, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks of the University of California Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, and I'm joined by my co-host, second-year child and adolescent psychiatry fellow, Dr. Tosha Yamaguchi. Hi, Tosha. Hey, guys. Fourth-year psychiatry resident at UCR, Dr. DM Wen. Hi, DM. Hi, Dr. Parks. Third-year psychiatry resident at UCR, Dr. Joshua Poole. Hi, Joshua. How's it going, Dr. Parks? And second-year psychiatry resident, Dr. Alan Atkins. Hi, Alan. Hey, Dr. Parks. Alan, are you there? Okay, you're you're back. Are you you're in the mountains of Colorado right now? That's right. Yeah, you you you're living the you're living the life, Alan. Uh, the views expressed on Let's Get Psyched are those of the speaker. They do not represent the University of California, UC Riverside's Council on Psychological Services, or UCR's School of Medicine. Well, you joined us for a great show tonight because we're going to talk about cyber sex. There's a lot to unpack there. And to do that, we're happy to welcome a special guest host, Dr. Lancer Nagdechi. Nagdechi, yeah. You're a third-year psychiatry resident at Rutgers New Jersey Medical School. Uh, you've given presentations at national conferences. You're going to be starting a fellowship in child and adolescent psychiatry at the Donald and Barbara Zucker School of Medicine at Hofstra Nor Northwell in New York City. And you are an expert in cybersex addiction. You're a lead author of an upcoming APA textbook called uh, The Technologic Addictions for a chapter called Hacking the Human Sex Drive. Great to have you with us, Lancer. Great to uh, be here. Now, I just want to start. So what is cybersex? What does that all involve? We've heard that term, but I don't think we really know for sure what it means. So, you know, cybersex is basically any, um, any pleasurable form of uh, any sexually gratifying activity online. And th that's a very vague term and could mean a lot of things. Um, typically, we think about, you know, online pornography and Pornhub, but uh, there's so much more to it. Um, there's, you know, all kinds of social media, um, any, any kind of sort of sex thing that could be on any platform, really could be on Instagram, messenger, video games. Um, it could be video, like a uh, live webcam sex. Um, it could be, uh, dating apps, Tinder, Bumble, Grindr, all these things. Um, there's, you know, there's simulated sex or virtual reality, augmented reality kind of things out there. Mm. Um, and uh, there's a new field, teledildonics, funny name, but it's actually the name of the field. It's a uh, high-tech interactive internet-connected sex toys. And I'm going to be very careful about the words I use here. <laughs> yeah, we have to be very careful here. I, I did not know that this actually existed at all, but it's uh, really incredible to think about. How widespread is the, all this stuff? I mean, you're, you mentioned a lot of different things. How many people are involved in some sort of cyber sex activity, as best as you can estimate? So, I mean, online porn being just, one part of this, the, the, the adult industry is, is worth billions and billions of dollars. Um, just, you know, just, just to throw out a statistic out there in 2019, there were, you know, 55 views of Kim Kardashian sex tape every minute on Pornhub. Wow. Sorry. That was 2018. Yeah. I was like, that Kim Kardashian video is pretty old. <laughs> okay. I'm impressed that it's still getting as much feedback. Wait, was it even old in 2018, though? Because I feel like, when did it come out? Yeah. It was yeah. still old even in 2018, right? It's popular. I feel like the Kardashians have been on for the past 10 years. Right. Probably more. Yes. I remember them in high school. 
And they totally defined like body image standards as like a total shift away. I mean, that's a whole separate discussion, but like there's a real argument to be made for, you know, the transition away from like Twiggy and Kate Moss and uh, all of the more slender ones, but that's a different discussion. So is this, is this growing, uh, Lancer, is this growing and is it and what are what are the dangers if it is is it is mostly with the younger generation like that'd be my or is it or is it not is it like it's growing on all age groups i think it's growing exponentially i mean consider just you know a decade ago the internet was just something on the computer computers are you know generally in public spaces you know but now everyone has a cell phone and all cell phones are basically computers and all kids have cell phones these days, smartphones. So, I mean, it's readily available. Um, on top of that, you know, you know, video gaming uh, devices are, are getting more and more complicated and complex and, and just um, things are changing rapidly. So just uh, societally, technologically, there, there, there's so many new things out there that, the the amount of problems and issues that are arising, I think, are, are we're going to see it in decades from now. Mm. Such in as, other words, the, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, what's the most? In other words, we don't know what we don't know. Mm. I do agree. I think I feel like there's this thing where it used to be, you know, you were a porn star <laughs> or that was your career and now it's so mainstream that like everyone has an OnlyFans account and you can do whatever and not you know be still have a regular day job and not, I don't know what like, that it is. doesn't define you you mean DM. yeah so OnlyFans is like the uber of porn so anyone can be a porn star and you have kind of like a porn blog and people subscribe and they you know it's it's that's basically it's what it side is side hustle it's yeah. a side hustle. Now, is that become more acceptable because social media has per- been so pervasive in our lives and we don't have to meet with each other and, and w- in person and so we don't potentially have a lot of shame <laughs> with doing this kind of thing, but because we have this kind of media interaction, that becomes like an easier, more accepted thing to do? Definitely, and I, and I think the pandemic really put this into hyperspeed. Um, there's tons of data from Pornhub, from the other porn sites about just how much porn use um, exploded during uh, during the pandemic. I think on March 11th um, in uh, 2020, there's, you can see the charts. There's just a huge spike on that day. Wow. As everyone just dive headfirst into this. Yes, go ahead. I, I remember hearing this um, back in... I think high school, they were talking about, there was a statistic about post 9-11, like the day after 9-11, they saw skyrocketing church attendance and skyrocketing porn use in sort of the immediate aftermath. And I, wow. there's something interesting about like a, a sort of a national widespread event and what it sort of it puts people into, like what are, they, what are their coping strategies? So that's fascinating that at the beginning of the pandemic, it's just astronomical. I was just gonna say, people are people are bored. People are are lonely. So it's just the perfect storm. I'm, this is gonna be like this, I'm from another generation, which is, I'm glad we have this different generational problem, but issue thing going on where we ask different questions. But is it possible that uh, less um, young people are being less religious? There's less religious folks now. 
Um, it, there's more like n people that ask for religion. If you, the young people put none, more, way more than they did before. Now, I also know that you know sexual activity is is a big source of shame for religious folks. So is yeah, maybe I'm grasping, but is that you feel like that's a part of what's make behind some of this growth is that people are becoming less religious and it's less of a thing. So interesting you say that. I, I saw at least one study that that mentioned that being religious is, is a risk factor for, for, for this kind of stuff. Wow. Really? Yeah. <laughs> that well, makes sense that, to me. <laughs> is it true that what, what I heard about the religious thing, and this actually I think gets into the more complex thoughts about why addiction hasn't been taken up by the DSM on this. And I think, you know, there, there's a lot to talk about there, but what I heard was that they were there are some people who were thinking of it as almost the way that homosexuality was seen by the DSM in the 70s, where it's only a problem if it's um, ego dystonic. They, I had seen some articles. I think one was in Psychology Today that was trying to sum up some of the kind of uh, more primary literature, but that basically people were saying like. Um, it's only a problem if you think it's a problem. The people that tend to see it as a problem and experience guilt over it are from a religious background, but that if you don't experience guilt over it, that it's not a problem, which I don't agree with. I mean, I think there, I've had plenty of patients for which this is consuming a large part of their life and also plenty of patients who are on OnlyFans um, at the age of 15, 14, 16, doing things that are sh kind of shock value behaviors that are Anyway, uh, that's a lot for you to comment on. So let's let's give you that. So I mean, there's there's really there's really no there's no criteria in DSM. There's there's really no comment on this. It's still stigmatized. I've heard of, you know, even at academic academic centers, universities don't want to get involved in this. Um, sorry, I think I skipped your whole question there. That's okay. I mean, I'm, I'm, I have a lot of I have a lot of questions, but one. Um, I mean, that brings another question to my head, which is, which is. I mean, first off, I want to appreciate you for getting into this field and being brave enough to get into a field that is so clearly of incredible importance and that is, you know, can create a lot of value, but also is currently creating a lot of harm for a lot of people, but no one wants to talk about. Um, and and if done right, could probably be done in a way that created a lot more utility and a lot less harm. Um, I guess the question is like, how do you feel about the idea that, oh, this is only harmful if you think it's harmful um, and how that relates to the religious background? Well, how it relates to a religious background, I'm not quite sure. But, you know, there's there's been different people have approached this different ways. Is this a, an impulse control disorder? Is this a, a behavioral addiction? Is this a sexual dysfunction? So I think I think as a field we still have to kind of carve it out and see exactly what's going on. I think we need more um, more uh, more research into this. Basically, see what we're dealing with. What's Wait, there are some people. Sorry, there are some people who feel like this is separate from a sex addiction. Yeah. So there, I mean, there's definitely a separation between sex addiction and. Um, and cyber sex addiction. Um, so, in terms of that, people are saying this is this is an impulse control disorder, uh, or this is a, you know some people think of it as um, 
a behavioral addiction. Some people think of it as uh, as a substance use disorder. Yeah, I'm I'm very curious that I I don't think that I would have assumed that, that was where the debate was going with it. I mean, you, someone so steeped in sort of the field and like on the ground level, what's your best guess as to where it'll finally end up? Because it um, seems pretty akin to like a sexual addiction, I guess, at first glance. Well, that's the thing. Even sexual addiction is not defined in the DSM. There's no DSM diagnosis of sexual. The closest thing we have is gambling or online gaming. Why? I, why? I, I think they just haven't, they haven't uh, agreed on, on what to call it. You were talking about how it's coming out in the ICD-11. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, so the, so really the first legit kind of thing we have in the field is this new diagnosis in ICD-11. It's called compulsive sexual behavior disorder. Um, and so they, they're, they're calling this an impulse control disorder rather than addiction. And um, they're calling it a persistent pattern of failure to control intense uh, repetitive sexual impulses or urges resulting in repetitive sexual behaviors. So this could be, um, this could be used to diagnose cyber sex addiction. Now we can get, you know, there's people that, you know, get into the differences between sex addiction and cyber sex addiction um, there's gray areas between paraphilias. Is this a paraphilia? Is it not? Is it a sexual dysfunction? Is it not? So we have a lot. We have a lot to work on. But is there a, bio, a like a neurobiological basis to call it an addiction that's somewhat similar to um, substances? Well, that's that's kind of what I was saying. I mean, we, there, I, I don't think there is. I haven't found any myself okay. in my research. Um, some people say there's a difference between uh, food addiction and, and eating addiction, where the food addiction is the substance use and the eating addiction is the behavioral addiction. So one can say the same about, um, about, about like sex addiction or cyber sex addiction. Do you think there's a difference between cyber sex addiction and sex addiction? Or what is the differentiation, differentiating factor? So I'll give you a, a case that I usually tell people when they ask me this question. If, there's, if you have a patient and he spends all his time on Tinder or Grindr and he gets fired from his job from this, he's neither a sex addict nor a porn addict. So where does he fall? Um, another difference that we see in, in cyber sex addiction is what we call um, dissociation. It's kind of a, you know, a, Poor time, poor time control and uh, depersonalization that we see with a lot of kind of online addictions, um, and that's that's uh, really a, a highlight of of cyber sex addiction that's different than any other kind of addiction. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Let's Get Psyched on KUCR, and we're talking about cyber sex with our special guest host, Dr. Lancer Nagdechi. Well, um, Lancer. Um, when do you personally uh, identify, because it's a, it, we've already kind of went through, you know, is it an addiction or is it not? Is there some sort of neurological basis or not? It sounds like it's, um, you know, there's different, there's, it's kind of a controversial topic, but when do you identify that it is a problem? Like, uh, what are some of the criteria you have just clinically working with folks? 
So, I mean, I, I've started to ask patients, you know, what, you know, we ask patients, how much do you drink? Do you smoke? Well, I, I, I kind of like to incorporate, you know, a, a, a better sexual history, try to get some of their habits. How much time do you spend online? Um, how much time do you spend looking at, at online pornography and, and, and these kinds of things? There are some, some uh, screening tools that we can use. So, Lancer, do you, do you screen for that in all of your new assessments? I've been trying to. I've been trying to incorporate it. Um, right now I'm at the VA, and, I, and um, I'm sure that there's a lot of that going on in that population. So um, a clear criteria. I'm just going to be completely honest. I don't know what the normal amount of like time to watch porn <laughs> is during the week. <laughs> like, so even if I ask a patient that and they say like, oh, I watch like 20 hours a week. I'm like, okay. Right. Well, maybe, <laughs> maybe this is, is this more like, um, you know, the, the shift from DSM-4 to DSM-5 being less on the amount or quantity and more on the impact it has in terms of dysfunction in your life, whether you're giving up social obligations, work obligations, like relationships, parental yeah. obligations, you know? Is that what we're talking about in, in terms of this sort of addiction? So, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, that's also baked into the, the new ICD-11 diagnosis as well, uh, how much it affects you. There's some, there's some research by Dr. Uh, Cooper. He, he, um, he has a lot of publications on this, uh, unfortunately passed away. But um, back in the early 2000s, he, he, he said 11 hours, 11 hours was the, was 11 hours a day. Sh- wow. Yeah. Wait, a, a day? Actually, day? Or per week? I, I think it's per week. It's got to be per week. Oh. Yeah. Oh. A day, like you're, you're, you're just all fucking porn and sleeping. <laughs> I should have been better prepared for this. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's, no. A, that's a great point. Because it's like the fact that, I don't know, that, that was somewhat of a believable thing. When, when we thought for a day, I was like, well, I've heard patients. In the addictions clinic, tell me numbers that were pretty high. So I think right. this is and that's, useful. Yeah, and that's that's why I, I think we, we need to get ahead of the curve here because the data we have is already old. The, the technology has already changed. Everything's different now. It's like um, in five years, things will be more different. Um, porn is no longer like a box of um, magazines under under your mattress. Right. I mean, I'm looking at the ICD-11 proposed, I guess proposed, I don't know, um, description of the diagnosis. And it says compulsive sexual behavior disorders characterized by a persistent pattern of failure to control intense repetitive sexual impulses or urges resulting in repetitive sexual behavior. So there's no strict numbers. There's no numbers on here about like how many hours a day or, or. But is there a subjective distress criteria? Like it causes subjective distress. Like you, you have to be, you have to have, you have to personally have to feel you have a problem with it. Yeah. Distress is entirely yeah. related to moral judgments and disapproval about sexual impulses, urges, or behaviors is not sufficient to meet this requirement. Okay. Cause yeah. Cause that kind of gets to the point earlier where Alan was saying is that, you know, you have these, um, you know, some religious folks, uh, tend to feel more shame about this. And I, I, I've had clients that have felt intense shame. And then when I ask them, it's like uh, like not even close to 11 hours. It's like a, a one hour here and, and then w- and two hours, maybe in the entire week, but they feel so intensely shamed. Mm-hmm. Aaron, I got to tell you, problem. when I was, uh, I went to like, you know, a small 
Christian high school growing up and they'd always have these small groups and they're these, they're these boys that would come forward and like with guilt, like sometimes crying or like really upset. And they're like, guys, I think I'm addicted to porn. I looked at porn once last month and I just, I don't know if God will ever love me again. And it was just like, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not that yeah. much. No, it's I think you're right. Yes. That, that level happens. of distress. Well, so that, it's intense. That feels like a different, a different syndrome than porn addiction, right? And they both, I think, are valid things that are causing people distress. One would be the predominated by the guilt response to some amount of watching porn, which I think has valid, um, beyond just a religious framework, has valid uh, underpinnings, or at least arguably valid underpinnings, given that this is an industry that creates um, a lot of oppression and subjugation for a lot of people. Um, and then, and maybe that's changing. I, I don't really know, but, uh, and then, you know, then there's the obvious, the more obvious form of the addiction where people are just um, experiencing the, like this, the kind of more standard addiction criteria that we might use for other substances of like kind of maybe loss of control, social consequences, increased um, dosage requirements, et cetera. You, you bring up a really good point, Alan, that is there, and then I'll ask you, Lancer, is there any way that we can view this as sort of like an amoral proposition that, uh, not, not the disordered part of it, but just basically cyber sex, can we view it as sort of an amoral thing that we would treat sexuality in any other facet, that it's something that we engage, but then it's a problem when it's a problem and it's not a problem when it's not a problem. Do you notice any current of that within this field or in the discussion around it? Well, the, the research, um, and it's in my chapter too, there's, they, they propose different kinds of users. There's at-risk users, there's recreational users. Um, so, you know, I think it depends on who the patient is and what they're, what they're bringing to, to, you know, with them, what kind of baggage they have, so to speak. What, what are other risk factors for this? So there's a bunch. None of them are, you know, kind of um, concrete, but we see a lot of other kinds of addictions, um, definitely other kinds of technological addictions, online shopping, uh, video game. We see a lot of uh, sexual abuse, PTSD, um, attachment, anxiety, avoidance, borderline personality, uh, eating disorders, I, I have a question for you, Lancer, just like, this is totally an opinion uh, question, but, you know, in the last 10, 20 years in the women's movement, um, an, an, uh, an emphasis on consent, discussions around consent, um, the female orgasm um, has been growing alongside the growing use and proliferation of porn. Do you feel like that's a reaction one to the other, or do you feel like the, the mainstream matization, if that's a word, of porn allows for a space for discussions about sex that you know, opens the space more for, for these issues? What, what, are you, what are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, uh, actually, um... In, in in my research on 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 cyber sex use in um, in adolescence, we found that uh, oftentimes the 
the boys, they, they want to do what they see in the videos. And a lot of times that, you know, this kind of, how do I say this being PC enough for the show kind of, there's reciprocity, aggressive, they're more aggressive kind of sexual acts. And, um, so lack of reciprocity. Yeah. That is not the direction I thought that was going to go. Okay. So this, I mean, you could consider maybe this is the um, focus on consent and, and the female orgasm is more of a reaction to what is happening based off of the proliferate in society from the proliferation of porn. I'm just wondering because these two things are happening at the same time, like, is it a reaction is one a reaction to the other? I'm not sure, but I think that, you know, with, with more with more research into this kind of things that that we we can actually see the effects that it's happening and i think there'll be more space to have these kinds of discussions are there any regulations right now while we're talking about like consent and you know the increased use of cyber porn or cyber sex regulations for what just regulations in general. I mean, okay, obviously there's this little thing that says you have to be 18 to enter a website and you click off. I don't know who verifies that. Mm-hmm. But other than that, is there any regulation that says like, okay, one, you have to have someone's consent before you upload a home like video or like you have to, you know, how to block it for children. I don't know. Yeah, actually, there was a big case in the news recently, um, this website called Girls Do Porn, where um, these guys would, would um, lure, lure young women in and say, you know, we're doing some modeling. And then when they show up to the photo shoot, they would, they would say, oh, this is actually, we're doing a nude shoot for some private uh, billionaire guy in Australia, and he's the only one that's going to have access to this. And, you know, long story wow. short, uh, it ended up it ended up online and uh, there was a huge lawsuit with this. And I think one of those guys is now like on the run internationally. It's a big deal. Given how uh, there's so much proliferation of cyber sex and, and entry points, I mean, you were even talking about things like, you know, just video games is like a potential in- entry point for you to talk about young people. Damn. So if you were a concerned parent, uh, I'm just a, you know, I, 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 I wouldn't even begin to know how to moderate this or prevent my kid from, because I've been having the knowledge, first of all, of how widespread it is and all the entry points. So what would you recommend for parents if they wanted to, you know, prevent their kids from being initiated too early for some of this stuff? Uh, I'm there, there. I'm old again. Yeah, sure. Sorry, just could I just hop in there? I just wanted to add okay. to Lancer's answer to DM's question. Um, from what I've heard in the past maybe three months, I've also heard that Pornhub is making moves to improve the consent in terms of uploading videos to their website. Um, that's what I've heard is is happening recently. Yeah, so the whole thing is, is it's called revenge porn. So there's a big there's a big movement to kind of stop it and get rid of it. Um, I think one of the examples I remember hearing is that like both people have to consent to uploading the video. 
like I don't know how they do that but instead of one person being able to upload the video it's got to be like both people is that something not entirely sure okay maybe I'm totally wrong about that Dr. Parks just to get back to your um your topic it's a question I I I get a lot I get asked a lot by parents like what can I do what's too much I mean I don't have the answers but I mean I I think uh, limiting internet time, putting um, adult filters on things, um, more supervision, um, and having having talks about you know what's okay, what's not okay, and of course you know educating oneself. The fact that porn is becoming more like technological base like vr porn and like it seems so much more like immersive, and it actually feels more connective than it used to in the past where you're kind of just watching a video and then like masturbating to yourself and now we're talking about like adult toys that somebody else <laughs> uses or plays with you i'm not quite sure what uh what i what you would probably you can probably explain it more but does that like can you give us more information how does that is that a bad thing is that a good thing that it's more connected well, I mean, it depends. Um, I really don't know. I mean, I think it's a good thing in that people can connect and, uh, you know, there are long distance relationships and people are quarantining and, um, you know, it's, it's a marvelous thing that the technology allows us to become closer with one another. Uh, it's another thing if it translates into an addiction or a comorbid psychiatric issue. And that's all the time we have on this edition of Let's Get Psyched. Today we talked about cyber sex with our special guest host, Dr. Lancer Nagdechi. Thank you for joining us, Lancer. Thank you for having me. And thank you to our co-host doctors, Toshi Yamaguchi, DM Wind, Joshua Pohl, and Alan Atkins. If you have comments, questions, suggestions for the show, you can write us at getpsyched on KUCR at gmail.com. And you can listen to past episodes of Let's Get Psyched on your favorite streaming platform. If you like tonight's show, please follow us and post a review. This episode was recorded remotely in our homes. Our producer is Elliot Fong. Our production assistant is Ismail Gonzalez. I've been your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks. Tune in next week for another edition of Let's Get Psyched. Let's get psyched.